Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Oh, here we go, boys. Go. Love that sound. This is a good one. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the podcast, your weekend recap and rant. Ooh, we got some stuff to talk about. Oh, well, of course, it was a longer weekend, being a Labor Day weekend, but also the official start. Oh, okay, well, technically, the first. Uh, last week was the official start of 2020 hunting season for Minnesota. And then I guess if we go into other states, there was early goose seasons and like pronghorn hunts and some early season deer hunts out west. So whatever. But mainly here, at least for me, uh, the official hunting season started this weekend. Um, but not Saturday like you'd think. Uh which I had people like, how'd you do goose hunting? I'm like, well, I didn't go. Not Saturday, anyways. Not the very first day we could. Why is a couple of different reasons. Um, one, all the fields that I'd scouted out and we got permission for, that were holding birds. Uh, some sort of event happened, and I don't know what it was. Some sort of like lateral food move, um, weather move, but something our geese just weren't there. You know, as we're scouting around getting ready for this weekend, we just weren't finding much in the way of geese at all. Um, you know, these small grain fields that we had, they got cut. Well, they planted pretty early because of our nice spring, and then they so that means they got harvested early. And so now those fields are kind of overgrown, um, not really that conducive. So, you know, that I think that might have had something to do with it. I, I feel like the geese probably moved around to better feeding areas but so anyways we didn't have a great plan for saturday um and i i went around scouting on friday you know trying to find something just didn't really find anything um did line up a couple of good spots for later however and um and a potential good spot for uh, a molt migration push day if we ever were to get that more on that later also uh coming up uh this weekend i have our last two events for uh, my club my bass fishing club loon state bass masters which somehow i'm leading the club which when amy posted that i was like wait what like, I feel like I haven't been doing that well this year. And if you've been following along on the podcast and my, my recaps, uh, you would know that, that I'm usually, like, beating myself up about 
I didn't do very well, and I could have done better, and um, apparently we've all been struggling. I mean, the thing is, if you're looking at the weights, there's just there's not much difference between first and you know fifth, sixth place. So we're it's anybody's game really at this point. And it almost sucks that I found out I'm in the lead because a I'm used to being behind the eight ball. I'm kind of always playing the underdog kind of thing. That's that's like where my mentality lives. I kind of fish that way. So being in the lead, it puts more pressure on me. And so, yeah, and that leads me into, like, B. Like, I don't like knowing that I'm in first place because if it shakes out that I can't retain it, you know, then I get to look back and I go, well, I led first for a little bit. and It means nothing, you know, and that's the thing. And, you know, friends and family are like, oh, good job. You're doing great. I'm like, no, 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 no. It means nothing. It means nothing. It's not it's not over yet. You know, I can't, you know, we'll call it on account of rain or something. If we stop the season now, I'd win. But it's that's not that's not how this works. It's not how any of this works. So it's like I almost wish I didn't know that, uh, to know that it was there and nah, I wouldn't even say taken away from me. Because it does I, literally it doesn't matter. It's an ongoing thing. So your your place your ranking only matters at the end of the last event. <laughs> so that is coming up, and I need to pre-fish. I mean, I was already taking these serious because as I shit the bed at the Minnesota State Tournament, the TOC, um, and there was some, you know, wrenches thrown into the works, um, mostly due to my ignorance of how the competition ran, Um I was going to concentrate on things that I could control and meaning I need to place higher within my club so that I can be a guaranteed boater next year for the TOC. And at the very least I can eliminate that problem. So there won't be any confusion. I won't have to suddenly find out, you know, hours before the night before the event that I now have to share a boat with someone that I didn't think, you know, it was kind of a mess, but anyways, so that was my plan. I'm like, all right, so I need to take these last two events really seriously, try to do the best I can, and, uh, you know, perfect world, walk away. Well, I guess perfect world, you know, I'd win twice, but that's just kind of unrealistic, especially with this club. They're really good sticks. So if I could, by chance, I'm hoping, this is my, like, hope, that I win at least one and just place well in the other one, and then... I feel like, you know, I'll have a decent shot at at finishing at the top. And and I'm not even too concerned about winning it. Like, yeah, that would be great. I just want to finish, like, in the top two or three so I, like, can secure my spot in the, in the league for next year for the TLC. That's, like, I'm playing the long game here. So, um, so judged by the... Uh, judge isn't the right word, but uh, going off of what we didn't find, scouting for geese coming into Saturday, and the weather. So the weather for Saturday was like not much for wind at all, which you know isn't great. Really, isn't that conducive for hunting, anyways? And the fact that the next two days were going to be you know windier and cooler, which would make for harder fishing but better goose hunting. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to forego opening day of early goose season here in Minnesota, and I'm going to spend that day doing some pre-fishing. And uh, so that's what we did. Uh, we hit Coon first and uh, looked, covered that lake. I didn't, I didn't really fish a ton. I did a bunch of, of scanning, just looking around, uh, marking some spots, just seeing how the lake, you know, because even I live relatively close to this lake, and I never fish it. I don't know why. It's just it's kind of one of those weird things, right? You never fish close to home. I mean, if you have a dock on a lake you fish the opposite end of the lake i mean even if people are boating to fish your dock like what where's the fun in that right you gotta travel feels like it needs to be some sort of journey so i never really fish that i just never really fish it but i didn't know how it laid out really i've only fished it like two times before and uh, didn't really explore the lake so i made it a point to really go out there and idle around and just see how it lays out and kind of try to make some determination on that. I did do some fishing, and we found um, 
a, a pattern. I think that'll hold. Um, the lake's kind of, it's one of those lakes, like the shallows are really shallow. And then before you know it, it just drops off into super deep water. The weed lines, you know, nine to 11 feet, somewhere in there. So like the vast majority of the lake is like a wasteland. It's, it's pretty much pointless. Um, so that kind of narrows down where the fish should be. And then it's just, then it comes down to the best way to present a bait to those fish, which when you have a real narrow area of where they can be, you know, that gets, gets a little tricky. Uh, so I think I found a decent pattern. Hopefully it'll hold this week. Uh, cause I probably won't have time to like double check it quick. Um, I'll be busy working and then, uh, I'll have to, I don't know if I'll have time. Hopefully I have time Friday to do some, uh, goose scouting while I won't be able to hunt, at least not in the mornings, maybe I can hunt the afternoon, but I won't be able to hunt the mornings. Uh, full scale outdoors will still be booking hunts. I have guides around the state, um, uh, that I work with. So I have the North central. So North of the Metro, uh, field available. I have a guide in the West Metro. If you guys are interested and you want to get in the hunt. And I also got, um, a guy down in the southwest part of the state. So uh, depending on where you're at or where you would like to hunt and travel, I have options for everybody. So get a hold of me and we can book you a trip for this weekend and for the whole upcoming season. Uh, still have spots available. So didn't mean to turn that into a commercial, but there it is. It's commercial. Uh, so anyways, I think I have a plan. Whether it's a good plan or not <laughs> for a coon, uh, that's what I'm going to fish. It's going to be, I'm really I'm just hoping it's not windy because um, it's going to require a lot of boat control and not having like an Ultrax, a spot lock is going to be a bummer. So let's just hope it's not terribly windy and the wind's in the right direction so I can fish my spots the way I want to. Otherwise, it's going to be a challenge. So then um, we decided to head up to Knife Lake, which are, is our last event. And that's another one. I, the only time I've ever fished that open water was many years ago and early spring for panfish when they're in the shallows. So I don't have any real, and I've only ice fished it a couple of times too. So I don't have a ton of knowledge on that body of water either. And so it was good to just get up there and scan around, get the lay of the land. As luck would have it, there was um, a tournament out there that day. So it was actually pretty hard to get, you know, a decent feel for where fish were. Like, let's just say it's dock fishing. You're going to go, I'm going to go fish this stretch of docks, right? Well, maybe I don't get bit. and But how many fish have been pulled off of those docks already that day? Because we got there in the latter half of the day, you know, back end of the tournament, I'm guessing. So those fish have been beat on and there was quite a few boats out there. I don't know how many were in that event, but, um, so the lake is, was, was getting beat up pretty good. And I'm out there trying to figure out where the fish are. It's, it's not really great for getting a good feel of how it goes, but I at least got the lay of land again. There's like really, there's like no weeds. I mean, there is weeds on this lake, but not any real like good weeds. They're super shallow because the water's really murky and off colored, um, so I didn't find any sort of deep bite at all. So it's going to be a pound the shoreline kind of a thing. Uh, found a couple areas that just scream bass, uh, but didn't catch anything. So, I, was that because they got caught already because of the tournament or am I just wrong? Do they just not hang out there? So I don't, I don't know. I, that one I'm going to kind of, <clears throat> I don't know what else to do. I mean, it, you're kind of limited to where you can fish. Um, so that one, I think I'm just gonna, you know, this sounds cliche, but I'm just going to go fishing, you know, on that event, I'm just gonna, I have a couple starting spots that I'll try depending on my boat number and, uh, I don't just go from there and, uh, you know, fish hard and hope for the best. So I have a loose plan for the two events coming up and then, uh, for hunting on Sunday, um, it's going to be kind of warm. I think the southeast wind is what we had. It was a decent wind. And my area is still not really holding any birds. But we have some other areas um, 
where we have, you know, somebody in our crew has permission for, and he'd been talking to a landowner, and there was geese in the field. They've been flying over the fields. So we didn't have, like, personal eyes on, you know, like how many were in the field or what they are doing because, unfortunately, this um, landowner, he, you know, leaves pretty early in the morning, so he doesn't really get, you know, he doesn't really know what they're doing. Um, but we've hunted that area in the past. We know it holds birds. And so for lack of better options, we're like, let's go, let's go hunt that. And that was actually Wisconsin. So oddly enough, in the Minnesota opener, the first time I hunt geese isn't even in Minnesota. It's in Wisconsin. Um, not that far into Wisconsin, but still, uh, it wasn't that great. We shot three birds. We didn't really see that many. We saw a few other flocks. Uh, they didn't really give us any good looks. The three that did it, though, I mean, they did it. They did it real nice. Um, that was fun. So it was kind of good just to, you know, knock the dust off. I hadn't picked up my goose call until I went and found it the day before. <laughs> so I was a little rusty. Uh, so I need, definitely need to practice that more. Uh, but all, all my gun worked. I knew where my ammo was, hunting clothes. You know, it's good to get the layup lines out and, uh, do a little mouse eviction that you pretty much have to do every year. They, man, do mice love those things. I mean, they love those things. That must be like preferred habitat for mice is a layup line. Oh, and decoy bags too. We haven't found that out. They had a couple mice in there too. Well, not the mice, but evidence of them living there. So whatever got to fight through that right but ever the day we've all been waiting for which was monday labor day the forecast was calling for northwest winds cooler temperature and not crazy northwest winds like you know 10 mile an hour which is perfect hunting winds and anybody who's a goose hunter at least should know by now that that means at least the potential of what we call what we call a molt migration. So you have these non-breeding adults that take off and they go up to Canada and that's where they molt their feathers. And uh, then, you know, then they start moving around chasing food sources. But then when you get that first cold northwest wind coming out of Canada, they start moving back down. And these are the geese that probably hatched out in, you know, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, you know, these not even in Minnesota, um, they're not breeding. So they didn't, you know, that's not where they're at. They continue on up. I don't, how they know where to go is a mystery. And they're trying to figure that out via studies, but it's what they do. They go into Canada and then they come back. And so they come through Minnesota on the way back to their quote unquote home grounds where they're true local geese. And uh, we're waiting for them at that point. So, we all predicted that we would see a good migration that day. And the field I was talking about before when I was scouting and I got permission for this field. Now, normally when you scout, you know, you're hoping to find birds in a field, in a field feeding. You want to get on the X as they call it, you know? Well, this wasn't that this was found this field and it was premeditated. We need to get permission for that field for this specific weather pattern. So there's probably never been a goose in this field, like ever. It's just a big hay field, and it's nice and bright green. It just got bailed. Like, literally, when we went there kind of to just figure out where we are going to set up and stuff, like, they were taking the last bales out of the field. So it's nice and short, no overgrowth, bright, bright green, perfect contrast for your decoys to stick out, and... We're just going to try to catch those migrating geese and convince them to come on down. So, arguably, we didn't need to set as many decoys as we did, but it's a ton of fun, and we had enough guys to do it, so we decided to set a pretty big spread. And I would say we had upwards of, if we didn't have 30 dozen out, we were close to 30 dozen. All mixed with some silhouettes, you know, some dive bombs, some socks, and some white rocks. Uh, we had a couple shell decoys out there, full bodies. It was running my avians, uh, big ones and the lessers. So we kind of had a little hodgepodge of decoys, but yeah, we had, it, it was a pretty impressive spread and the hide was 
almost the best part because in the middle of this field, there's like a big rock pile, junk pile, a bunch of stuff rusting there, a couple cars rusting away, old, you know, classic cars. And the whole thing is just surrounded by tall grass and weeds and stuff. It's just like the perfect hide. So we, butt, you know, we grassed in our blinds, butt them up against that rock pile. And I mean, you, we just disappeared. I mean, it was awesome. Perfect, best hide as you could possibly hope for. And uh, now we get all set up. And we heard geese flying in the dark, actually. So we weren't, they could have been migrating. And then I thought maybe, well, maybe they got bumped off by people hunting water. But I just don't think that many people were hunting around there. So chances are they were already pushing that early. Because once the light came up, it didn't take long for us to start seeing, you know, mile high flocks. I mean, just crazy high up there. It's amazing that you can hear them so well. Like everything, when you hear one, you're like, oh, I hear one. And you look and you're, you're expecting it to be, you know, almost cuffed out coming into the decoys and you finally spot it and it's just this speck way up there in the sky. And then it's a matter of, uh, you know, yelling at them and trying to get them to come down with your calls. And, and you know, we had a flag. We were hitting that, although I don't think that really did much of anything for us yesterday, um, which, interestingly, that will lead into this week's Waterfall Wednesday. Stay tuned for that. <laughs> oh, wait, no. That won't be this week's one. It will be an upcoming one. We did just record it the other day, Nick Johnson and I. But, um, yeah, so stay tuned for that. We'll get into the flag controversy a little bit. But, anyways, we started calling. And, uh, you know, the the nature of a migration day like this, especially the early ones, you almost don't expect the early ones to come down because they probably just left wherever they were roosting. And, you know, they're they're trying to put some distance between them, you know, get to a new area. And usually it's later in the morning where you start getting them to work down. Well, we didn't have to wait too long, and we started getting some flocks to to break down. And the fun part about migrators is when when you get them, they almost always come all the way down. And so one of the things, you know, as a waterfowler, as a goose hunter, what we like is that art of deception, right? So you put out the decoys, and you call you know you practice the sound as much like a real goose as you can you stay concealed you know you're tricking them and on a migration day and on like this field that there's probably never been a goose in it at least not this year like you're getting them to you're it's all about the deception you're tricking them into doing something that wasn't on their itinerary that day you know so it's when it happens there's definitely a sense of accomplishment that goes along with that to add to that, one of the things that hooks us waterfowlers and us goose hunters is like the visuals that you get watching the body language of these birds working when they cup out and they just start dropping in elevation and maybe they get tipsy, they flip upside down to really cut that elevation down. That whole action and the and the visual images of all that, oh man, that just gets you fired up. And then anticipation of being able to actually call a shot and sit up and shoot. The very first group we had in, I didn't even pick up my gun. I I should have. There was it was one of the bigger flocks that we had worked that day, but I just wanted to get it filmed and I I put it on my uh, Snapchat story. And so if you missed it, go ahead and follow me on Snapchat. Um, just Dale Luganville on Snapchat, and uh, I'm posting a lot of stuff on there lately. It's just easier. I can just you know boom and it's done. It sends. I don't have to upload it later and all that nonsense. But I probably should film, film some stuff. I got GoPros just gathering dusk here in the old man cave. I should get those out, but I digress. Uh, so anyways, have a pretty good day. We didn't limit out. We had six guys, and now uh, we ended up with 20, but we did get a band. All right. That's right, baby. It's a cool band, too. I've never seen one like this. It's like uh, they were saying it's like a black band, like they paint them black, maybe, I suppose, so people can't see them and... I don't know what, but so it was, it was wore off. We got the band information back. It was banded in 2015 in Fox Lake, Wisconsin. So definitely a molt moving back to its, you know, back to that, you know, area, that whole like Michigan, Lake Michigan area, Illinois, Indiana, which a lot of birds, you know, when we hunt the early season in Minnesota, Almost all of our bands. I think that's the first Wisconsin. No, it's not the first Wisconsin band we've had. Um, but usually they're like Indiana, Illinois, Iowa, something like that. So they're 
passing through our state back to their home turf where they were more likely hatched out a couple of years earlier. Anyways, very cool. It was me and my buddy, Mike, who shot it. We both kind of shot at the same time. He went out and grabbed it. He's like, did you hit that bird? I'm like, well, I shot at that bird. I can't say for sure. I was the one that crushed it. And, you know, he's got his hand on the leg. And we're like, really? Are you, you're bullshitting, aren't you? And then he's like, no, it's banded. It's like, oh, that's so sweet. So it was just us two. We didn't have to do a whole group draw. And uh, we just flipped the coin and Mike won it, which is super cool because that's Mike's first band. And I probably should have just asked him. I wouldn't even done the flip. If I knew he hadn't had a band, not that I have a shit ton of them, but I've at least gotten one. I have a couple Snow Goose bands. I wouldn't have. I'd have, I'd have just given it to him anyways because um, I wasn't really shooting that great. So chances are he probably did kill it and uh, whatever. I, I'm fine with it. I think actually I'm more than fine with it. It's awesome that he got his first band and it's a cool band with a lot of character and good story. So that's what it's about, right? It was about memories and that's not all about that. Cause we got some good goose meat to, uh, to chow later. Uh, speaking of that coming up on September 26th, here's another commercial for full scale outdoors <laughs> at wings North in pine city. Uh, September 26th, six 30. I'm doing a kind of field to fork, how to cook waterfowl and I'm going to do some goose and uh, that's actually our duck opener. So hopefully that morning I can get some ducks. Uh, so I got a couple things planned out to show people what you can do with it in case you're one of those that, you know, doesn't like goose meat or thinks you don't like goose meat or it's tough. It's livery. It's gamey. It's this, it's that. Oh, you got to marinate it 8,000 hours and Italian dressing and do that. Whatever. I mean, the only true lazy way to do it that's any good is jerky, and goose jerky is good. So I'm not even going to bash that. But there is so much more you can do with it, and uh, I and it's not really that tough. So I'm going to show two really easy things you can do. One, a little more complicated, still easy. It's just a lot of time, and that's like the braised goose legs. I'm going to I'm going to run through how you do that, and uh, so that's good. That class is going to cost forty bucks. They're still a uh, few spots available, so get a hold of me and book that. Also, the day of, not advertise this well at all, That this is on me, but I do have some spots available for the hunt that morning. And, um, you know, normally a hunt's 150 bucks per person. On this morning, I'm doing a reduced cost for 100 bucks if you also sign up for the class. So that way, you know, it's 100 bucks for the hunt. 40 bucks for the class that's 140 it's still ten dollars cheaper than just a hunt so you're basically getting the basically getting the class for free is kind of how it's it's working so because that's i kind of want to really do that field to fork kind of um experience for at least i can't obviously hunt everybody in the class i think we have 40 spots so i can't really you know not gonna hunt with 40 people <laughs> uh but i'll have a, a normal sized hunt that morning so some of those will at least get to some of those people will get to experience the kind of the whole the whole thing. And I'm hoping that some of the people that are at the class did their own hunting that morning and can and bring in their stuff. And then, you know, or maybe they don't hunt. It's very possible that they're, you know, the wives that just, you know, or husbands for that matter, not being sexist. I mean, whoever the, maybe you don't hunt, but you you like to you just want to know how to cook it. Your partner keeps bringing home all this wild game and you don't know what to do with it and this could be a perfect opportunity to, to show you a couple really quick, easy, and by the way, super delicious ways to eat uh, waterfall. So that's coming up September 26th, Wings North. Uh, get a hold of me, and we'll get that on the books too. So there it is. That's the weekend recap. Pretty awesome. Uh, everybody I've talked to about it experienced the same thing. Saw lots of high migrators. Uh, most people had some really good success. A uh, few bands were, you know, it seemed like everybody was getting like one band. So pretty cool, spreading the wealth out with the band department. That's always fun, always a good story. Uh, so over, overall, all in all, pretty fantastic weekend for Labor Day weekend. And a good way to kick off the 2020 hunting season. I definitely have some work to do on my goose calling. Uh, to the point that I'm actually, I think I'm going to book Nick Johnson for one of his uh, how-to classes, his calling classes. They're 60 bucks for an hour. I think that's a great 
bargain for what you get out of it. So if you're a goose hunter and you want to um, improve your calling game, which you should, definitely get a hold of Nick, Jay, and uh, get signed up for a class. I need to do it. I, I know I have some, like, crazy bad habits that I need to overcome and, and just improve there. And I just need to practice. I just, just I'm not – I'm bad about it. That's that's the downside of being like an all outdoorsman and not being a specialist in any one thing. There's only so many hours in the day, so it's you, you kind of get wrapped up in this and you get wrapped up in that. But um, you got to make it a priority. I also haven't picked up my bow yet this year, and that season opens up in two weekends, I think. So uh, I'm gonna make it a point this week to send some arrows down range, make sure everything is at least sighted in, start getting that muscle memory back in shape. And get ready for that. I don't normally hunt right away. I don't bow hunt right away. I usually wait till like the middle of October when pre-rut starts kicking in. That's when my land starts to get good, at least for bucks anyways. Um, so, I don't But I might hunt earlier this year. Uh, I might try to snag a doe and just get a little more meat in the freezer with the state of the state here and COVID. And if is there going to be another round of it and shut down again and you know not that I'm a prepper or anything but you gotta kind of keep your eye on the world and if it gets shitty where you know shelves are bare in the grocery stores again it's not gonna hurt to have a little extra food stores so maybe I will hunt a couple extra earlier weekends if I don't have or maybe weeknights or something just sit in the stand for an hour or two can't hurt right bottom line is I need to practice. I need to get out and uh, send that bow downrange. Uh, well, not the bow, but the arrows anyways. Uh, get some practice in that. Hope y'all are doing the exact same thing. Get brushed up. Make good ethical shots. That's what we want as hunters. All right, there's your recap. I'm going to get into rant here. Um, start doing a little bit of research. I read it. I read the story. This isn't anything new. Um but, like, polar bears have, have made it back in the news again. Major threat to polar bears that no one's even talking about. And, of course, they go to hunting. And there's a bunch of different articles online that, you know, the big thing is climate change. And whatever you whatever your opinion is on that, I, I don't care for, for this argument. Well, that's not necessarily true. I'll get into, I'll get into why. Um, but I get it. Like, I, they're very charismatic animals. They're beautiful. Of course, the cubs are just adorable as can be. And these animal rights activists, they always, you know, throw out the worst pictures. And this, they just prey on your emotions. And it's just such bullshit. They're trying to keep it shut down. I couldn't really find, um, I need to figure out if we can import polar bears into this country. I know it was... Uh, they banned it for a while, and people had their trophies were like locked in Canada, and they couldn't get to them because they weren't allowing them into the states. And then there was um, some bills introduced to lift that ban that I just haven't heard, and I wasn't able to find if they lifted that or not. Um, but I need to get into just debunking this whole you know hunting is is the problem here. You know, I'm reading this thing; it's on the canary, which is a known uh, animal rights kind of or animal rights friendly website anyways um it's just the way they word shit like i'll read this like polar bears have become a gut-wrenching symbol it's shit like that that break that fucking drives me wild but gut-wrenching symbol of the breakdown of our planet but the climate crisis isn't the only major threat they face speaking at a recent event in parliament norwegian conservationist oli leoden Painted out that something else is killing about 800 to 1,000 polar bears a year, and yet no one's even talking about it. It's banned trophy hunting in bold letters. The campaign to ban trophy hunting, CBTH, organized the event. See, they organized the event. So, like, you think there was going to be somebody speaking, you know, defending hunting for that? It's just ridiculous. And it's, it has nothing to do with what they call like trophy hunting. But that, if somebody has any good ideas as to how we can change that verbiage, because that, that, the word trophy in front of hunting almost always brings up a negative connotation. 
as somehow that's the only thing they're hunting for, you know. And most times, especially people that can afford to even go on these hunts, you know, they are conservationists and they know where they're going. And in polar bears in particular, they're supporting these um, Inuit villages, native people. Like that's who's doing the majority of the hunting up there. And it's subsistence hunting for the most part. They actually use the meat. They feed their dogs. They feed themselves. They use the fat. They use the fur. Um, so it's not like the, the vast majority of the bears being killed. So this person is saying there's... 800 to 1,000 polar bears killed every year. The vast majority of that is by the local people up there that have been doing that since the beginning of time. When only I read another article that said like uh, 26 of those bears were to trophy hunting. And you're going to come at me with this the biggest threat nobody's talking about? 26 bears. 26 bears, we have roughly, you know, depending on who you ask, uh, 30,000 polar bears in the world. The three-quarters of those are in Canada. So it's not like uh, 26 is not doing it. But in this article, this guy just, he goes on to say they're trying to get them. He wants them to even just get rid of hunting for the Inuits, for the locals. And that is such a narrow viewpoint because you don't realize how those people live and how big of a part of their everyday life hunting is for them and bear hunting is for them. Like, it's it's so narrow-minded and it's so self-righteous. It just drives me crazy. But they always got to bring in the trophy hunting thing because then they start bringing in the class, classism, class envy. You know, he's quoted here, it costs about $47,000 to do a trophy hunt. And you might think that's great news for the Inuit settlements. And it sounds like big money, but only 52% on average has actually ended in the ended up locally. Only? Only 52? So instead of, it's 47, let's just say 50,000 for easy math. So you don't think 25,000 is a big deal, you know, for one hunt? Come on, dude. Like, that, you're, you're, I would love to debate this person. I would like to feel I would crush him. <laughs> like this just it's ridiculous. Yeah, and then there's hotels and you know that whole argument. They're they're all going to that's all going to go up, you know. There's another thing though that I wanted to point out. Um the big thing they so taking hunting out of it, the fact that polar bears are even endangered um when they're actually they're not, technically, they're not endangered. They're in the, um, is it vulnerable? I think they're listed as vulnerable. Let me see if I can find this quick. I got the couple articles pulled up here. Um, uh, dang it, I can't find it now. Um Anyways, they're not full-on endangered, right? Because their numbers don't qualify them for that. So I think they're listed as vulnerable. And the only basis of them being even in the Endangered Species Act is because of climate change and how we think the climate is affecting these bears. Now, we do know, I mean, you can watch there's time-lapse video that shows Arctic ice receding, um you know, staying gone longer. So there, you know, whatever, again, whatever your opinion is on climate change, whether it's man-made, whether it's real, blah, 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 blah. There's hard evidence, satellite imagery. You can see ice, you know, melting off. But what does that mean exactly? I have a feeling, you know, my gut instinct tells me we're not giving these animals credit and how well they can adapt. So I kind of did a little bit of research not on polar bears, but a little bit on climate, climate and um, and ice. You know, obviously, shelf ice is important to them. They hunt seals, and seals being you know very fat, high energy. It's a great food source for them. But polar bears have been known to go inland uh, from time to time, and when there's no ice, that's that's kind of what they do. So, I went back and looked. Because as I'm reading just about polar bears, 
Uh, scientists estimate that polar bears diverged from brown bears between 250,000 and 130,000 years ago, which is, in evolutionary terms, fairly recent. So that's a long time ago. So let's say let's go on. Let's just take the the smaller end of that scale. Let's say 130,000 years ago, polar bears have been a thing. Well, what has the climate been doing in the last 100,000 years ago? Well, actually, not that long ago, we had a pretty rapid melting, which we can get into a whole different thing. If you're interested in that, uh, go check out uh, Graham Hancock and, uh, oh, I can't think of his name, Um, Randall, Randall Carlson, by the way, is from Minnesota. Um, They have interesting cataclysmic theory, and the evidence is more and more pointing that it's a, a legit thing, that we had some sort of extraterrestrial impact that caused massive rapid melting of the ice caps and then followed by um, really cold winters, uh, basically like a nuclear winter and uh, started another ice age. So pretty, pretty interesting, but that's, that happens around 12,900 years ago. And so when you start reading about the timeline of Arctic ice, that kind of timeline pops up completely unrelated but so i'm kind of connecting the dots here and forming my own little little it's not even theory i'm just trying to build a case for we need to give these animals more credit and their ability to adapt will they take advantage of sea ice absolutely if you had you know it's like the buffet is open with prime rib yeah you're gonna eat really good and you probably gain some weight (laughs) <laughs> but if if it's closed and you can't get there, you know, then you're going to have to find a different food source and it might not be as fatty and as good, so you're not going to get as many calories. You know, it seems pretty simple actually in my my opinion. Uh so in this article and this was in uh Matt Ridley online blog. So I'm going to go ahead and assume he's some sort of climatologist. Anyways, um, it's titled like, will, when the Arctic loses all its sea ice one summer, will it matter? So, he had a Times column on the Arctic sea ice melted in late summer before between 10,000 and 6,000 years ago. So, we're worried about sea ice being gone, and that's that's the main threat to polar bears. But yet, here we find out that 10,000 years ago, there wasn't much sea ice for them, and yet they've they made it through. Well, how did they make it through? Uh, we're being led to believe that without that sea ice, polar bears are going to go extinct, which is their main argument for putting them on the Endangered Species Act, which just doesn't to me to me something doesn't add up. So I'm guessing in 130,000 years. I'm not even guessing. You can go back and you can look at ice core samples. And they know what the climate did. There is a lot of spikes in the climate. In fact, the last 10,000 years has been the most stable in like Earth's history ever, pretty much. Um, usually there's these massive spikes in, in temperature and climate that it's crazy. And this is going off of their ice core samples which you want to talk about something that nobody actually talks about, it's that because it kind of shoots holes in their whole global climate changing theory. Um, but there's also problems with, you know, science says this or science says that. And generally I'm pro-science, but what you have to remember is scientists are still humans and they're still, uh, you know, they have all the same traits as all of us. You know, we, egos get involved and we get married to our ideas and, you know, these scientists are predicting the ice will completely disappear, and then it doesn't. You know, um, this NASA climate scientist, Jay Zwally, told the Associated Press in 2007, at this rate, the Arctic Ocean could be nearly ice-free at the end of summer of 2012. Well, it didn't. Two years later, Al Gore quoted another scientist that there's 75% chance that the entire North Pole ice cap during the summer months could be completely ice-free within five to seven years. Well, that would be now, and that is not the case. So it's I could go, he, he brings up more um, 
evidence of, of science is doing that and they're being wrong. And he's not exactly talking against it or I think this guy is pro like um I think he is on the on on the global warming or climate change kind of bandwagon there. But he what he does say is he does caution his uh colleagues to be really careful with stuff like that because it does give um skeptics a platform, you know, and I think that's fair. Um because I don't, I'm kind of a skeptic, um, but also I'm not a climatologist, so I try to, again, I'm pro-science, but I take everything with a grain of salt because what I do know with the scientific community is that once 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 an idea has kind of been adopted as quote-unquote fact, it's really hard to change that, even with um, massive amounts of new evidence, and we find that all the time. Um, make bringing it back being analogous to this, the ice, you know, that cataclysm I talked about. The Clovis first, when people first came into the Clovis people, they called it when they first, you know, came across the land bridge, got into North America. That is the most widely accepted story of that. Uh, however, we're finding older and older and older human artifacts that predate the Clovis people by tens of thousands of years and even more. And anytime somebody brings that evidence to the table, they get shot down as pseudoscience, as, you know, like they just they just dismiss it. So it's not as clear cut as scientists say this, right? They're, again, it's you got to put the whole human factor in there and uh, and the waters get muddy pretty fast. So I try to stay somewhat open-minded with climate change. It doesn't need to be this political talking point. Like we all get fired up. Ah, it's totally fake. They're just trying to control our lives. It's the Democrats. You know, whatever. It, don't necessarily that that might be part of it. Some I think it's more opportunistic for people in a certain party platform to use that one way or the other. Then that's why they, whoever they are, are doing it. You know what I mean? All right. So that's a huge huge rabbit hole I just went down. Sorry, I'm going to try to bring it back. I'm going to bring it back. Um, but basically, I think it's important that when we find ourselves in these debates that, like this, the way I went about it, not not to pat myself on the back, but it's like, instead of just getting into the same old argument of why hunting is important, the money generated, you know, because when it comes to polar bears, yeah, there's definitely money made there, but it's more important to the Inuit and the local people up there, even if you take out um, the paid hunt, you know, hunting. Like, um, God, I don't even see how else do you call it. I'd hate calling it trophy. I don't want to call it trophy hunting, but um, commercial hunting, I guess. However, you want to call it. People pay for hunt, non-subsistence hunting, recreational hunting. I guess you can call it that. Um, that's such a small piece of the pie that it's not that big of a deal. Um, but if you take this away from those Inuits and those communities, you're going to do, man, you want to talk about putting somebody, something on the endangered species list, I would go ahead and put those native people on the endangered species list, especially if you take away that tradition that is huge to them. And they're not just stopping. They're not stopping at polar bears. You know, you want to go to the next thing, and they, they want to ban seal hunting, and they use a lot of the same arguments disappearing sea ice you know so it's what you're taking every you are you gonna they can't grow tofu up there you know what you're taking away their livelihood there's the inuits don't eat vegetables like there's literally no vegetables up there they eat protein lots of it lots of fat that is their diet and you're basically trying to take all of that away from them so you know that's that's kind of when these progressive matters um they kind of start fighting each other, you know. So you're supposed to be sticking up for the native people and native cultures and respecting their cultures. And then on the other hand, you know, the animal rights activists are trying to shut down the way they live. So you guys want to make up your mind? Are you for native cultures or not? Kind of a thing. That's the way I think you should, you know, argue it. Try to don't concentrate so much on the benefits of hunting because you're never going to win them over with that. They have a negative viewpoint on hunting you're not going to change that that there's no way you with at least just words are going to change their viewpoint on hunting 
these animals are too pretty and charismatic and they've already made up their mind, that's not going to matter. So start making them ask questions. So you bring up these discrepancies like, well, if that's really, if disappearing sea ice is really a danger to polar bears, how come they didn't go extinct here? And then you show them these articles. Like they have nothing to do with hunting, have nothing, they don't even have anything to do with polar bears. But it just shows you that at certain points in time, while polar bears existed on this planet, they didn't have sea ice and they made it through. So obviously they're able to adapt. Otherwise they would have went extinct a long time ago without the presence of man. You know, that's how evolution works. But they adapted. They will continue to adapt. So this crying wolf, this, uh, you know, mentality should be fairly easy to poke holes through. And it is. But we have to make sure as hunters, as conservationists, that we don't let our emotions drive our arguments. They need to be... Uh, they need to have a good foundation of facts. And if you can use kind of their own weapons against them, use that same climatology data and scientists and what they're finding against them, you're going to, you're going to paint them in the corner and all they're going to have to hold on to is their emotions, which they will. They'll just, they'll at some point in time, they'll just scream out, well, that's how I feel, or it's just mean, and they'll demonize you, and they'll call you an asshole and a murderer and a whatever, whatever. But once you get them to that point, you know, go home, celebrate. You won the argument. <laughs> At least that's how I that's how I view it. But all right, this one's getting kind of long, edging in. Sorry, but it came across. I just kind of went down a wormhole. I started reading different articles, and the lights kind of started going on for me about um about that whole thing. Like if it's so bad how come they made it through that ice-free zone? So anyways, there's something. Take it for what it's worth. Use it. Don't use it. Whatever. I don't know. This stuff interests me. Hopefully it interests you too. That's that for this weekend's recap and rant. Quick reminder, uh, if you've made it this far, good job. You listened to the whole thing. I didn't bore you completely. I appreciate that. Um, Subscribe, rate, review. Send in some questions. I'm always looking for topics to discuss and uh, different rabbit holes to go down. Uh, so definitely do that. Um, like I said before, Full Scale Outdoors is booking goose hunts this year, the whole season. So uh, get a hold of me. Let's set up a trip. I got areas in uh, the east central part of the state, north of metro. I got west metro areas and southwest part of the state. And I'm always looking to expand that. So um Anywhere you are, I can probably find something relatively close to where you're living. So, uh, yeah, just get a hold of me. You can uh, call me, 612-209-5438. Get a hold of me at any of the social medias. Leave me a message, and uh, we'll get you booked for that. September 26th, Wings North in Pine City. I got the Field of Fork cooking class. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that one. That one's going to be a lot of fun. 40 bucks. Uh, we'll get you that class. And then the day of, if you'd like to be part of that hunt, there's still a few spots available. That's 100 bucks per person. So give me a call. Let's go hunting together this year. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So with that, I'm going to wrap this thing up. Thanks again for listening, everybody. I truly appreciate it. Whatever your passion, pursue it full scale. 